This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Harbor at Home. Uh, Thank you for letting me be a part of this morning and uh, bring the Word of God uh, into your gatherings and your groups, wherever you're at. Um, if, you're, if you're in a home with families and friends, um, awesome. If you're listening to this alone, that's great. But I want to invite you, if you are listening to this alone, uh, get connected to the harbor. Um, get connected to a harbor at home because life together is better. And um, we just get to grow and share life um, as we get around the Word of God and hear what He has to say for us in this season and right now. And so um, at Harbor at Home, I really believe that God has created it and designed it as an environment for us to not only share what He's put inside of us, but receive. We never leave empty when we gather together because we're the body of Christ and He is faithful to to fulfill and to fill us. And so um, I'm just excited to spend some time with you this morning on the other side of the screen. And we are in a sermon series called Counterculture. And I actually believe that God divinely led our leadership to this topic. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, But aren't you thankful that we get to be a part of a culture, a, a church culture, Um, a family and and a ministry that is truly led by the Holy Spirit. There's really no better way to live other than led by the Holy Spirit because he's the one to guide and to help us navigate all that's going on in our world. So it would be one thing to just you know, read the Bible, study it all the way through. And that's wonderful. You know, I did that when I was a kid. My dad, actually, when we were kids, he, he, he said, we're going to read the Bible cover to cover. And early Old Testament got real interesting. There's so many names and so much history that I can't remember. But um, I love reading the Bible all the way through. There's, there's amazing context in that. But there's something to be said about what God is saying to our church and to us now that we need to hear and that actually leads our lives. And so in this... Uh, in this series of counterculture, um, I actually truly believe that this is what God is saying to his church, that he wants to empower us, he wants to equip us, but he wants to lead us. We're not doing this alone. He wants to lead us as we move counter to the culture of this world. And even right now in the midst of all that is happening in the world, it can feel so overwhelming just to lead our hearts and our lives not to mention know how to live counterculture, know how to take on all that's going on in the news and even, even the challenges in our, in our areas. And um, before we get to the message, I just want to encourage you and remind you of two things as um, we are called to live counterculture. Is one, the Holy Spirit is with you. He fills you and he covers you. The Holy Spirit I know we know this, but I want it to be a fresh reminder this morning. The Holy Spirit knows the heart of God and the mind of Jesus fully, completely. And whatever we need, we have access to in the Trinity through the relation of the Holy Spirit. So let that be encouraging even right now that as we face life and face all that's happening in the world, we have full access to everything that God is through the Holy Spirit. And second, as we take on this, this uh, 
this call or this charge to live counterculture is that the kingdom of God, the culture of God, is and always has been bigger and more powerful than any kingdom and culture of the earth. And if we think that we have difficult and challenging and even scary leaders in our world now with all, with all that's happening in the news and all that's happening around the world, I want to remind you that in, in the Bible and, in, and specifically in Egypt, the, the rulers, pharaohs actually believed that they were gods. They, they believed they had the power of God and they actually partnered with the kingdom of this world and actually had you know, spiritual authority and, and actually carried power of, of, of principalities in their area. And, and so they were deceived and actually brought into a belief system that they were gods. That, that's what was going on in the Old Testament. And yet Yahweh, I am, raises up Moses, not when he is a king, but when he is a shepherd. And so a shepherd with a staff moves into the debatably the greatest kingdom of the earth at that time and overthrows it. That's our God. His kingdom is and always has been bigger and more powerful than any kingdom and culture of the earth. And not only do we belong to a kingdom that is eternal and bigger, but we are carriers of it. And a few weeks ago, Darren gave the awesome, I love this story, he gave the awesome example of living counterculture by carrying a different spirit than that of the world. And the story he shared was that he cut somebody off in traffic, this person was so angry, full of rage, and even even potentially violent, and he actually just apologized and, and was encouraging to the person that he cut off. He said, I'm really sorry. And... Uh, it was so beautiful in Darren's story how quickly this person's anger and rage turned into kindness and, under, kindness and understanding. And so we, we are carriers of a kingdom. We are carriers of a culture. And as I, as I wrote this, as I was praying through this and preparing this, I heard God say that we disarm the devil when we don't use his weapons and when we don't arm others with the weapons of the enemy. So when we choose not to use the weapons of, of the enemy... We're disarming him. And, and that's, that's part of how we get to do this. It's, it's so beautiful. So this word counter, counterculture. Counter means to speak or act in opposition to, to return a strike or a blow, like in a fight, or to move in the opposite direction. And so when we talk about to speak or an act in opposition to, or to return a strike, we're immediately, you know, our minds are full of you know, a lot of what's going on on Facebook, even what's going on in the political and in the religious world of so much conflict and people back and forth arguing. But it's important that when we talk about living counter, moving in the opposite direction, that we are living like Jesus. He's the model and he's the example. So that our hearts are postured like his and that people are never the enemy. And our battle is not against flesh and blood like scripture says, but against the spiritual powers and the cultures that God wants to bring down. But in the Bible, we often see Jesus confronting cultural systems that people were living in. So we see Jesus confronting and, and living counter to cultures of judgment, greed, pride, oppression, and, and especially religion. And so to move counter or against culture that's, that's a big undertaking. 
but, but we're not, like I said before, not doing it alone. We're filled with and we're led by the Holy Spirit. And we have the example of how Jesus did it. We were never meant to, as the church, be people who are self-justified in our truth and to go out into the world and just be a clanging cymbal or a gong. The Bible says that a life without love is just noise, and that's not who we are. And so when we talk about counter, living counter to the culture, we look at Jesus. And so this, this counter-reality, this moving in the opposite direction of, or, or to speak or act in opposition of, can often feel like there's an overwhelming force pushing us or having an effect on our lives. This, this is the world we live in. I know I feel it weekly, and I know you do too. All that's going on in our local world, in our nation, and in, in, in the world around us. And so for those of us that live in Florida or near the ocean, we immediately understand what a pushing and a pulling feels like as it relates to, you know, currents and movement. Because when we try to walk or swim in a direction, when we go into the ocean, while there's a current, it pushes and it pulls us in directions that we we don't want to go. And if we're caught in a current, there's only one way to move in the opposite direction of it. It's way more powerful. It's, it's stronger than we're able to swim. There's only one way to move in opposition or in a different direction than a, a current or a countercurrent to us is moving. It, and the way we do that is to get out of it. And so I'm not saying that we move far away, you know, into the hills, hide from the world, or we never enter into cultural currents and, on, and the topics and, and the things that are happening in our world. I'm not saying that we move and hide from the world. I'm saying um, that just like being in the ocean, there's a clear moment when we're in too deep and when we're not grounded. So in order to live different then, to move in, in the opposite direction of, we actually have to be standing on or walking on something that is more secure and more solid than the culture around us or the current around us. In Psalm 139, David says, that God's thoughts towards us outnumber the grains of sand on the beach. And so I, I find it really a beautiful picture that we find our footing in the pushing and the pulling of cultural currents by standing on the truth of God and his thoughts for us. Same way that we're at the beach to, to move and to you know, get out of the, uh, the current that's in that water that, that has so much power over us, we get out of it and stand on the sand. And I, and I just, I know it's a simple picture, but in the same way, one of the ways that we find secure and firm footing is moving out of it and standing on the thoughts of God. How beautiful is that, that the thoughts of God are related to uh, pieces of sand and that that's exactly where we get to stand um, next to such a, a vast ocean and, and, and a place where the currents can be so strong. So God's thoughts for us are where we can stand. His truth is where we can stand. And so we get to walk out of the tossing waves and currents of the ocean and onto the truth of God. And so I was actually practicing this very thing a few weeks ago. I was in a moment, I was feeling pushed and pulled with some mind games of my own, some fears, some frustrations, and some doubts. And actually, there was, there was some very real pressures I was feeling that kind of just seep into our hearts and minds of the pressure to be successful, 
to, to, to live a life that I want to live, to, be, to live a life I want to be proud of and not feeling like I'm doing enough. I know I've been there and I know that we've all been there. But as I was thanking God for his goodness, how far he's brought me for what I have now and asking him for the truth that he wanted to speak to my heart to stand on in this pushing and pulling, he showed me that it's more than just living on something firm. And that there's actually something that we have and there are choices that we make in this process of walking out the truth of God. And God, God brought me back to an Old Testament story in Genesis that I think many of us have heard before, the story of Jacob and Esau. But God actually gave me some fresh perspective that I just want to share with you this morning as it relates to our position in culture, what we have, and how to um, truly, truly live and walk out who God made us to be. <clears throat> so in Genesis 25, we read the story of twin sons, and they're born to Isaac. And Isaac is the son of Abraham. And so Isaac names his twin sons Esau and Jacob. And, and the book of Genesis goes on to tell that these two brothers become leaders of two nations and that they're always in conflict. And the history of the Old Testament follows the younger brother Jacob, follows his lineage onto David and then eventually Jesus. So, so many of the stories and so many of the, the lessons and the messages that we have um, center around David. I'm sorry, center around Jacob, um, who is a... Uh, latter son of Jacob. David is a latter son of Jacob. But so many stories that we've heard and messages in this story of Esau and Jacob center around Jacob because he's the one that becomes a forefather of Jesus. He becomes the descendant of, of Abraham. But um, there's something really interesting in this in the story of how that happens, where that shift happens. And, and actually, I felt like God speak to me about not Jacob, but of Esau. And I think some of you might know where I'm headed with the story of these two brothers. But I want to, I want to look into Esau's life for just a minute. So first of all, um, in Genesis 25, 21 through 22, it says that Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if this is so, why is this happening to me? So she went to acquire of the Lord. So God goes on to give her um, a, a prophetic word and say, this is why your, your sons are struggling within you. And they're actually going to become two nations. And th these two are going to struggle lifelong. Now, we don't have the time to look into that history at all. There's so much going on. But I want to come back to, once again, Esau's life and where his, where his story begins. Now, it says that, he was the that the children struggled within her. So that means Esau was born into struggle. So he was born struggling with his brother. And so we, we learn later that um, Esau's name actually means hairy or, or covered in hair. And that Jacob na Jacob's name means supplanter or replacer or deceiver. So interesting. So from, from Esau's uh, birth, even before he was born, he was, he was growing and wrestling with deception. And so he, he was born into a struggle with deception. And so we, I believe, are born into a life and in a world that is warfare. There's real spiritual warfare going on. And so we're born into a struggle and a battle of cultures, that there is real deception that we are created to confront and to face. And so culture says, 
Live for what's true to you. You you are the source of your own truth. And that your feelings and your thoughts are, are the most real and important things rather than truth. That this would be the culture of the, of the world as, as what we're born into. It's a culture of even like sin. Um, we, we know that it's a fallen world, pain and sickness and sorrow. And I, and I get that. But what we carry, like I said at the beginning, what's inside of us is far greater. But it's important to see even from Esau's life that, that the story begins that there is a real wrestle with deception. And, and, and the Bible doesn't pull punches. So are we. We're born into a world that requires us to confront things that aren't true. And so we move on to uh, the next couple verses. I believe this is really beautiful what God is sharing with us here. So in Genesis 25, 24 through 28, it says that when her days to give birth were complete, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out all red with red hair and his body like a hairy cloak. And so they called him Esau. And afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. How wild would that be if now we named our, our, our babies when they were born just by the first thing that happened, you know, when they were born? Hey, oh, there's the first, um, you know, feature on their face or what they look like. I'm going to name them. Just let's praise God for a minute that we weren't named based on our most distinct feature. And so... I just think it's so interesting that immediately named Esau, which means Harry, they named him Harry because his body was covered in hair, and named Jacob supplanter or replacer or deceiver because he was holding on to Esau's heel. Get this. This is, this is where I want to focus. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful, skillful, sorry, skillful hunter, a man of the field, somebody who was a wanderer, somebody who uh, liked to search and discover and adventure. While Jacob was a quiet man living in the tents. So Isaac loved Esau. His father loved Esau because he ate of his hunting. And that, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see this internal even struggle within the family. But I want to focus on this. Esau's born covered in hair. And I know that's, growing up when I read this story, I just that's weird. And then kind of just skip over that. Kind of like a lot of the things in the Old Testament. We just go, that was weird. Let's move on. But I want to I show you, Esau was a skillful hunter, an adventurer, somebody who was out in the wild. So before he was ever that person, he was born covered in hair, created for what he was born to do. It's pretty beautiful. It's pretty amazing. So I want to I say to you that, yes, we're born into struggle. We can be born into this battle, but we're also born with a calling and we're prepared for it. Uh, culture says live for comfort. Culture says following God into the unknown or living a life of sacrifice and adventure is actually too hard to do what pleases us now. And so I, that's not how God created us. Even from birth, he knows what he's, he's called us to. And, and I just love this, that, that we're created for adventure. We're created to live in strength. And um, that, that's us. We were born for something and for such a time as this and prepared for it by God. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting, and I want to, I want to focus on, because I really believe this, this is a word of God for us um, in this time, in this hour, but also for us in our identities. Um, we, we read in, in verses 29 through 34 about Jacob and Esau, and about Esau having a birthright. And so I'm going to read this now. 
Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, out from the wilderness where he was hunting, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. But Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is my birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and then he got up and went away. And thus Esau despised his birthright. Now there is so much in this little portion of of Scripture, but I, I think it's so important to understand what a birthright is. A birthright in the Old Testament and in the Bible has to do with position and inheritance. So um, since Esau was the firstborn, by birthright, the firstborn son inherits, get this, the leadership and the judicial authority of the father. That's Jesus. That's us. And in Deuteronomy 21, 17, it states that a birthright is also a double portion of paternal inheritance, a double portion of inheritance from the father. So, as New Covenant Christians, as sons and daughters of God, we have an inherited birthright. We have an inherited birthright position in Jesus as the firstborn son of God. The Bible says that we are brought into being co-heirs with Christ. Not less than, but co-heirs. So, if Jesus is the firstborn of many sons and daughters, the Bible says, we are brought into that position of having a birthright that Jesus has. One of leadership, one of authority, and one of double portion inheritance blessing. That's amazing. I want to pray that that would encourage your hearts right now. And so when we look at this amazing thing that is Esau's and what he gives it up for, it's actually really, really astonishing that he, he would know the future holds. He is the leader of his family. He is the leader of their nation. That not only is he the leader, but he has a grace and a blessing from his father. He carries what his father carried. He carries um, the authority of his father. And not only authority of his father, but he actually carries the inheritance of his father. So with all of that future promise in mind, how does he give all of that up for a bowl of soup? The Bible says that Esau despised his birthright at the end. And the the word despise here actually means to disregard it um, as worthless. So the very thing that was supposed to be a place of power, a place of honor, a source of honor in his life, to feel just honor and to know his, his, his worth, that a place that was supposed to be fulfillment in his life and a celebration of who he was and always would be, and the very thing this birthright that he would pass on to his children. How, how does he give that up? And I want to I take a minute here that the birthright, what Esau was supposed to have, wasn't just a blessing. It was actually supposed to be what he created the culture of his family from. It's wild. It's powerful. That, that he was supposed to have a culture in his people and his family and in his life of blessing, of leadership of authority and of inheritance. And so how how does he give that up? And um, it's so valuable. But I want to show you a few, a a little bit from this story that I believe gives us insight. And so Genesis 26, 1, 
it says, and this is a little bit of a hidden piece as I was uh, studying the word, I was studying this, this story. I almost missed this because after this story, the very next verse says, um, now there was a famine in the land. It's interesting. So while all this is happening, a famine is happening. So how does Esau give up something so valuable? How, how, do, how, do, we, how do we make that exchange a bowl of soup for an inheritance? So I, I believe that it's when there's, a, when there's a famine in the land, when there's a lack and an emptiness around you, this is, this is what's happening in the world around Esau at the time. There's famine in the land. There's lack and there's emptiness around you. Does that sound familiar? There's definitely a feeling of that in our culture right now. It seems like people are trying to be filled, but feeling more empty than ever. When you're exhausted doing what you were born to do, and when your calling seems heavy, this is, this is the moment that he gives up his birthright. He comes in from the field. He's exhausted doing what he was born to do, doing what he was created to do. His calling, his identity. In this moment, it's, it's weary. It's exhausting. And if we're honest, there can be moments, times where, moments and times where we just we feel like being who God created us to be can be weary and exhausting. It's, it's real. When we can't see past the moment that we're in, Esau says, I'm going to die. Or in a moment where we just don't have hope and we're not, we're not able to see the promise of God, that this is a moment where that exchange is actually possible. When we listen, get this, when we listen to the voice of deception, devaluing what we have. In this moment, Jacob says, give me your birthright. And, and he doesn't say, give me your inheritance, give me your power, leadership, authority. He just says, give me your birthright, demands it. So when there's a voice of deception devaluing what we have and who we are, a lot of times it can cause us to go, yeah, it's, it's, not what I, it's not worth what I thought it was. And lastly, when we're offered something, this bowl of soup, man, I, I cannot get away from the imagery of, of this bowl of soup in this moment, being what he chooses. When we're offered something that is immediately gratifying and, and fulfilling to the flesh, and it seems in the moment that it is more fulfilling than our, than our promise and our identity. So, living counterculture. I, I, as, I, as I got into this story, I, God gave me just such a, a simple picture of we have a choice to know what we carry, to know who we are in every day, and even in seasons that are, that are specifically like this one, that is a famine season. I'm not, I'm not calling that what's going on in our world, but it sure can seem like it. It seems like there's a, there, there's a famine, there's lack, there's emptiness. Everybody, everybody is looking for something, scampering for something. And in, in a time like that, to live different is how God created us to, to be. And so it's, it's, it's important that in, in moments and in life where there's, where there's an opportunity to make that exchange for what, what we already have, for, for something that seems more fulfilling to the flesh. We know and we stand on the truth of God. This, this story is not new. Now, with Jacob and Esau, or with Adam and Eve, it's the very thing the enemy has been trying to do since the beginning of time. He says, if you eat this fruit, if you do this your own way, if you take 
what is tangible and to fill your stomach, to, to satisfy your flesh, then you will become like God. You will have what you want. But the reality is they were already like God. I, I, I truly believe that this is something that happened then and there's, there's really no end to it. So God's giving us insight of that we are, we are created to be fulfilled in our birthright and in what he has for us. So the nature of this world's culture is that it offers everything that would satisfy the flesh, but would always leave us, always leave us wanting eternal fulfillment in life. And Paul writes in Romans 8 that those who live according to the flesh set their, thing, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So to set the mind on flesh, get this, is death. And, but to set our mind on the Spirit is life and peace. It's that simple. And so living counterculture means that we know who we are. It means that we know what we have and the value of it. And we know that it's more than enough. And not only that, but God is faithful to take what he's given us, what he's blessed us with, and increase it. Because we were always meant to be a people that in our, even in our families, that it gets better and better. That my, my parents did the best they could. They loved well. They taught me well. They blessed my life. And I get to take what they gave me. And there's even more that God gives me. And I get to give more than what my parents gave to me to my kids. And, and this, is, this is God's design for every family, that there would be generational blessing and increase of inheritance. The enemy knows how valuable this is. The enemy knows the value of our families and what we have. And that, I, I really believe that's why we're, we're, we're feeling in this world such a clamor and such a, a, a struggle, like, like Esau felt from, from birth, of, of the decision to make, we're not going to satisfy flesh. We're not going to live for flesh, but we're going to satisfy the spirit. This is how we live counterculture. There's so many applications to this, but, but I really felt like that was something God had for us this morning. So just like Jesus does, just like Jesus led in, in, in the New Testament, it says that he only did what he saw his father do. But not only did he only do what he, what he heard his father say and saw his father do, he carried what the Father gave him and gave it away and, and lived from that place. That's how Jesus created culture. That's how he's still creating culture in our lives and in, in our world. And that's what we're, what we're invited into, to take what he's given us and, and to live from that place of fulfillment. So I just I pray that there will be a blessing to your hearts this morning. I pray that you would have amazing discussion. Uh, around this topic, and I pray that your hearts and your minds are sparked with what Holy Spirit is, is leading and speaking and saying, because we, we, are, we are armed with um, truth. We are armed with something so much more than um, gratifying the flesh. And so um, if you would just let me pray right now. Father, I bless um, each and every home group and every person listening right now. I pray that we would hear you clearly now, and we would see clearly what um, the exchange um, is, is happening even in our life. What, what exchange is possible? And we would know the value of what we have, what the, what the world is offering and what we have. Lord, we, we would see clearly now because uh, we're meant, God, to carry. The Bible says something eternal in earthen vessels. We carry something so valuable in, in, these, in these bodies and in this life, God, that is eternal. And so I pray for just a reminder of that now, that we would live like that now. 
and um, we, would, we would be people that shine and live as light and bring others into their birthright, their blessing, their authority, and their leadership. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.